Caroline Ra, and you're listening to Spirit of the Dawn, Podcast 9. Today, we'll be exploring the union of Isis and Thoth with my guests, authors Normandy Ellis and Nikki Scully. Every single day since whence I wake, I feel the same, somehow I have changed, could do the people of the street. Yeah, made me feel it Somehow life is sweeter every day Somehow life is sweeter every day hey, uh, You've gotta find a time to change Gotta find a time to find this time to embrace The colors, fine lines and shades It makes this place, it makes this place great I'll embrace the change Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll embrace the change Whoa, whoa From beautiful Ashland, Oregon, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Light, Caroline Ra. Thank you all for joining me today. Welcome to Spirit of the Dawn. We have a very special show today. I invite you to get ready to welcome magic into your lives. My guests today, Normandy Ellis and Nikki Scully, are priestesses of magic in service to Ma'at, keepers of truth devoted to personal and planetary transformation. And when they enter your life, it means you are ready to answer to a higher calling, as they will awaken within you a deeper purpose. Normandy and Nikki both answered the call when the Egyptian Neturu came to each of them, asking for them to dedicate their lives to working with the wisdom that these gods and goddesses embody. Each of them is a masterful writer, a compassionate healer, and a wise and loving teacher. Their latest co-creation, The Union of Isis and Thoth, Magic and Initiatory Practices of Ancient Egypt, is an inspirational guide to creating a personal temple where one can then connect with the Egyptian Neturu and with one's own higher purpose. I am delighted to welcome to Spirit of the Dawn, Normandy Ellis and Nikki Scully. Normandy and Nikki, thank you both so much for joining with us today. Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you, Carolyn. This is an amazingly powerful book you've written, but I know it was actually many years in the making. Can you share with us how you first began working together with Isis and Thoth and the Egyptian Neturu? Um, Normandy, why don't you go ahead and start since you're Isis? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think what happened is um, Nikki and I started working together about, I think it was 18 years ago, something like that, uh, with a call that Nikki gave me uh, after she had read Awakening Osiris. And on that telephone call, she and I immediately recognized each other as kindred spirits. And we planned to get together, although the plan was somewhat delayed. I think Isis and Thoth had other plans of their own, so that uh, it took about a year or so for us to really get together. And by that time, um, some magical things had happened to Nikki and to me. Uh, And when we did finally join together, the Egyptian mystery school that we birthed was really full-formed in a way, Um, and Nikki had already started creating a space for it on her property. I didn't really know what I was doing. Things would happen, 
that only in retrospect would I realize that those were um, the setting of certain foundation grids for the temple that was to happen here. Yeah, Nikki, you have a beautiful sanctuary just north of me. We're both here in Oregon. And this is where you have built a temple. Um, yes, <laughs> but it's an etheric temple. It's an etheric temple. And the book is um, based in part on your experiences uh, working in your temple. Is that correct with your students? Yes, it it starts with how we discovered that that's what we were doing. I mean, we didn't... When when we did our mystery school, one of the things that we learned quite quickly was they wouldn't let us know what we were going to do until sometimes just a week or two before the people were actually coming. Sometimes because, a day before. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I think they wanted it to be fresh and pure, and they didn't want us to fiddle with their plans. They wanted us to be um, open for what was actually to happen. And the the first mystery school that we did was actually in San Francisco. It was at the ocean uh, where we went and did a commitment ceremony. And it was a commitment to Maat and a commitment to the work. And then it was the following year I I was on an Egypt trip and there was a woman that did angel readings and I wasn't particularly into angels. I didn't have a, much of an understanding of that energy at the time, but I thought that I should, you know, say yes. And so I accepted and received this angel reading and in the reading, she told me that every time that I took a group to Egypt or every time I did a workshop or any ceremony at all, that I was building a pillar or a chapel or a wall in this etheric moon temple that was happening on another plane. So when just before our second mystery school, which was here in Eugene, Sachet showed up and started giving instructions on what was to become the first, um, the Holy of Holies and the, the, the main pillars. Uh, I understood that that reading had been true and that I had been working on this long before it actualized. And then, of course, you've been here, so you know that we do have one main temple building, which is where we teach. But all the rest of the temple is is uh, only visible to those who are initiated. It's quite interesting. <laughs> But when, when they're initiated, when they come to mystery school, it, it comes alive. It awakens and the flags are flying and um, the, the deities are present and informative. And 
Do you have anything to add, Normandy? I think it's good. I think one of the first processes that we did together was to create uh, flags for the divine beings and place them at, at portal entrances uh, so that as you process through this etheric temple, you are moving through the gateways that, that are guarded by the various divine beings in pairs. Um, and then we created chapel spaces and rooms beyond that, also in the etheric. And so this etheric temple is built um, in the same pattern that the ancient Egyptian temples are built on the ground in Egypt. Um so they have usually, you know, a divine being on either side that you move through. And um, so that was our first work, was creating those flags, because a flag is a hieroglyphic symbol of a divine being. They used to fly these flags um, inside the temples to show that the god or the goddess was at home. And so when we pull those flags out and set them up, um, that means that the temple is open. And it took us years to, um, I mean, we're still adding as different deities come to us, but it, it took several years just to get the temple in place. And the, the, the magic that accompanied the creation of the temple, some of it can only be done in consort with divinity and other parts can be done in accordance with the instructions that we carefully lay out in this book. Uh, the book is a map, and when you follow the instructions and take the guided visualizations, then you get um, the guidance directly from Seshet, from Thoth, from Isis, from whatever Netaru is helping with this specific aspect of um, building the sacred temple. And then eventually it you know when it when it became clear it was time to write the book, um, we had to decide, well what from 18 years of mystery school is is Im important enough to put into the book because every year we would do something completely different. And we realized that the 18 years were leading up to what had been the most recent, before we started the writing, workshop which was building the sacred temple within so the whole book what we always understood was based in the principle of as above so below and so we have the etheric temple and then we have the temple in our own physical bodies and um so becoming a vessel um, fit for the divine to to enter and live in and communicate within us is 
then becomes the main focus of the book. And then once you've built your temple, then it's all the things that you can do in it and with your chosen uh, deity that right. lives in your yeah. deedom. One of the things that I think that occurred to us as to why building the Adidam became so important is that we had so many students who were new to the work or, or new to us in the uh, Egyptian mystery school that we were constantly re, uh, rebuilding and reteaching things that had come before. But the whole point of the book is to allow you so that you can have that temple experience and carry it with you in this lifetime, whether or not you ever go to Egypt. I mean, I wrote Awakening Osiris uh, 10 years before I ever went to Egypt, but it had gotten so inside me that I was carrying it around constantly. And so I think that that point that we decided, oh, this is, this is where everyone enters in, is to carry that temple within. If you go there, great. You know, that's beautiful it just increases the power of the work but the work is still powerful when you carry it within you all the time I, I really know what you mean because I don't feel called to go to Egypt but I absolutely love connecting with the nature doing the initiations they're so powerful can one of you explain why are the initiations so powerful well, actually, I think I can speak to that in terms of my work with Normandy, um, because I'm I'm a catalyst, and Normandy is a visionary, and so when we come together, something happens, and that that magic that we can't explain and don't really understand is reflected in the experience of the readers of the book. But you have to understand that, yes, you read the book, but it's, it's the doing of the book where the magic lies. Right, it's ceremony. And when you're engaged in ceremony, you're not simply reading something with your mind, you're engaging all of your senses. You have tactile sensations and you have visual sensations and those incense and smells and sounds and all of that uh, is what makes the experience, the ceremonial and the ritual experience so rich and so uh, impressed upon the psyche that you will never forget it. And you don't have to have those things in physical in order to have the experience. You will smell the incense even if you don't have any. Right. What is the importance of journaling your experiences? I, I know that it's encouraged in the book, and whenever I do follow those instructions, I'm amazed at what I end up writing. Huh. Well, I think that um, I started out as a, a memoirist, a, a journal writer, um, and I became very fascinated with uh, books about ceremonial magic and uh, metaphysical journaling. And in fact, I teach metaphysical journaling at Camp Chesterfield uh, and around the country at other places. But I believe that that 
is one of the ways that we can sidestep our uh, our demand that we understand what we're doing if we allow the writing to simply come through us and allow another voice to come through us. It can enhance the experience. And um, again, when you engage your, your uh, visionary capacities by using words that evoke sights, sounds, smells, etc. You are recalling and impressing that energy into the psyche uh, in a way that um, is unforgettable. So the journal becomes a repository. It's also a great way to check yourself. You know, how is this ceremony progressing? How is the magic working? If there's a, a blind or a stop somewhere, you have a record of it to go back to it and figure out, you know, what to do instead. A, a really good example of that, if I may, is is when we did um, our Egyptian mysteries on becoming an oracle. Because when my husband Mark had the vision about a week or so before we were all going to gather for the mysteries... Uh, I called Normandy and I said, well, guess what we're going to do? We're going to do becoming an oracle. And and Normandy kind of, you know, balked. <laughs> 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 and she said, I, 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 I can't do that. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's my edge. That's my line. I can't cross it. And so... We got off the phone, and I was trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do? That's the guidance. How are we going to deal with this? About a half an hour later, Normandy calls back and says, um, I found um, an old journal. The last entry in the journal was five years ago. And the last entry was when I was asked to step into that role and I felt I wasn't ready and that was the end of that journal. But that was <laughs> a powerful reminder to Normandy that, okay, you know, it's been five years, it, maybe maybe it's time to step up to the plate. Nice. And so <laughs> that was... Without a doubt, one of the most powerful um, uh, mystery schools we ever had. I mean, I can count a number of books that came out as a result of that uh, particular mysteries retreat and the people who were there that uh, allowed their oracular selves to step forward from that experience. <laughs> that's, that's very fun. I, I find that we always get a second chance. The, the door knocks again and we get to do things again, even if we weren't ready the first time. Uh, thank you. That's a really helpful reminder for me for some of the things that I regret not doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and realize that, oh, yeah, they did come around in their way. Yeah. That's, that's what I've experienced yeah. also. Something, uh, I have just had so much fun with the book. And uh, on the first night, goddess Isis came to me and kissed me on the third eye. And a couple of days later, I woke and there was Osiris. And it, it was very beautiful and very powerful. 
And then I wrote a beautiful, as the instructions of the book, I wrote a beautiful invocation to Osiris. And I was amazed at what I wrote. And I do channel write regularly, so it wasn't unusual for me to do that. But I was amazed at the information that I wrote. Let's talk about the many hymns and invocations in the book and how important they are and how, how we're inspired to write them. Oh, that's so interesting because... <laughs> It's one of those things that Normandy saw really clearly, and I didn't. It took me a while to get why that was so important. And um, we're actually going to create an auditory hymnal for our virtual book launch, which is coming up on the 28th of this month. We're in inviting people to join us for a couple of hours of casual um, chatting about the book or whatever people want to talk to us about. And, and uh, we want to reach as many people as possible and they can come in and out and ask us questions and whatever. But everybody who comes is going to get a copy or a link to our um, recorded hymnal of the hymns that Normandy and I wrote for the book. And those hymns are, I mean, the, the gratitude is one of the principles of creation. And the highest form of gratitude is attention. And when we apply our attention to these deities by writing to them and recording their words, speaking to them uh, specifically, uh, that, that means something. They, they, they listen. They, that's, I mean, what, what can you give to a being without a body? You give them attention. You give them um, words of adoration. You give them a voice. Could you explain what you mean by that, Normandy? You give them a voice. Not only am I a human individual writing my hymns of glory and praise to a divine being, but when I in my humanness step aside, I can allow them to use me as a vessel to speak what they would like to talk about. And so that's called an eratology. And it was an ancient Egyptian tradition in which one wrote a hymn of, of praise or a statement of power through the voice of the divine being. And many of those uh, eratologies were inscribed on uh, stones that were erected outside of temples, and they were imbued with particular kinds of powers, uh, some of which were medicinal powers, uh, some in the etheric, and some were actually ground-up substances that were embedded and placed over the stone. And when you poured water, you know, purified water over this stone and then drank it, healings occurred. So... Um, so really, it's, it was um, not just me saying how wonderful Isis is, but Isis saying, this is who I am. Come and see me and feel me and know my expression, you know. And for me as a writer to allow her to say those things through me 
is a gift that I can give back as well. That's very beautiful. Uh, in the book, you give a lot of information on becoming an oracle in one's life and working with that and the different ways that people can develop those skills. For everyone, do we have different innate gifts that we've just chosen for these lifetimes and then we can develop them if we choose to? I know that probably all three of us experience things differently and have different um, ways. I'm also visionary. So it's interesting if you could explain how you have so many students and I'm sure you've noticed that they all develop things differently. Could you work with that, please? Well, as, as I said, becoming an oracle which I think is what you were asking about, yeah. was one of the most potent mysteries that we did. And the, the erotology that Normandy described is, um, although that particular erotology might not have been a result of that, but her then choosing to actually study mediumship and become uh, an ordained uh, spiritualist minister um, may have certainly in part stemmed from the becoming an oracle. Mm -hmm. And that's not a gift that everyone would choose to develop, even if they had it. But what we discovered is that the people who had that gift were pretty much blindsided in that retreat because they were shown in no uncertain terms that this was a part of their reason for being on this planet, a part of their uh, original contract, so to speak, whether it was forgotten or ignored. And um, so... Uh, it was very life-changing for a lot of people. But being becoming an oracle comes with tremendous responsibility mm -hmm. and, and a firm commitment to live ma'at. And it's uh, nothing that can be taken lightly because... And, but anybody who reads Tarot or astrology or oracles like like the Anubis oracle knows that um, when they're in that place um, they have to be 100% there because that's the only way that you can truly trust um, yourself to speak for the deity what does service to Ma'at mean? Well, the, the concept of Ma'at is, is based in uh, truth, in justice, balance, order. And uh, as I learned from my teacher Normandy, uh, all children in ancient Egypt grew up knowing that their lives were in service to Ma'at. And it's just something that we've forgotten. And that's why we're so out of balance. And that's why I'm writing a book on Sekhmet, because I see her as one of the guardians of 
Ma'at. And when things get out of whack, it's she who comes in and straightens things out. I mean, that's why she was so feared, because at the time that her legend was initially written was probably a time much like this, when humans were not only disrespectful of the gods and one another, they had completely forgotten the concept of Maat. And when she came down to the planet to set things straight and saw just how bad it was, well, she actually acted out of fierce compassion rather than any intrinsic evil, which I don't believe exists. Well, I think I think Ma'at, too, can be understood as natural law. That is, uh, the law of polarities, you know, as you reap, so shall you sow. The law of reciprocity, um, laws of of a perception, that is, what we perceive as the divine is a reflection of the divine that is within ourselves, uh, and so on and so on. The natural laws, there were like 42 divine laws of Ma'at that were part of what the ancient Egyptians called the negative confession. And pretty much, they're very similar to the other things that we recognize as the Eightfold Path in the Buddhist tradition or um, Moses' Ten Commandments with the exception of thou shalt have no other gods because they had all the gods. <laughs> but um, I think that, you know, one of the things that so touches me about Ma'at is when I'm in Abydos, there's this beautiful image of mm. the Pharaoh Seti holding the, a little statue of the goddess Ma'at in the palm of his hand. And he's kneeling and he's lifting this image up to a full-blown statue of the goddess Ma'at. And there's this inscription on the side of it that says, this is the order of the world which you gave me at my birth, and I have not changed it one whit. And that includes things like I have not dammed the river, because damming the river would mean preventing that abundant flow of, of energy and fertile soil to your neighbor's you know, field. Um, things like I have not stolen the baby's milk, um, which sounds kind of silly, but if you live in a culture where there's a long period of drought and you take the milk uh, from the cow and, and you like give it, a, give it away or, you know, whatever, the baby starves. So there are certain periods of times. It's observing the natural law, the flow of the earth and the balance. I've not polluted the water, you know. We could say these things from now until, you know, end of times. And we're still struggling with what some of these laws of Ma'at really mean. You know, the ecology and the spirituality is is very much a part of those natural laws, which are Ma'at. And it's, when you think about it, it's really the, the heart is the seat of consciousness. Um, and so there are three things that my friend Deborah Jones and her Nine Gates Mystery School participants taught me in this most recent trip I went to Egypt with them on. And they woke every morning and they would say, 
to each other, I vow to you conscious speech, compassionate action, and purity of heart. And those three things are the essence of ma'at. Thank you both so much for those answers. We're having an amazing time today with my guests, Normandy Ellis and Nikki Scully. They are the co-authors of The Union of Isis and Thoth, Magic and Initiatory Practices of Ancient Egypt. I'd like to mention some of the other beautiful books that you've each written. I am surrounded by almost a library of both of your books. Um, Normandy, you have created such titles as Awakening Osiris, Dreams of Isis, Invoking the Scribes of Ancient Egypt, and Feast of Light, and many more books. Uh, Nikki, uh, you have written Alchemical Healing, Planetary Healing, The Anubis Oracle, Shamanic Mysteries of Egypt, and I even have more of you guys' books in front of me. I am wondering both what seeds you are sowing now in your worlds, what projects you are working on, and what you're envisioning for the future. Do you want to start, Normandy? Oh, wow. Um, let's see. I'm uh, This year, I'm beginning work on a project that is based on my book, Feast of Light. And it's called Feast of Light Celebrations of the Goddess. And once a month, I'm going to offer a workshop through Mother House of the Goddess. Uh, and the workshop focuses on a different goddess every single month uh, with uh, both individual practices, community practices, and then there'll be a live teleconference with that. So, um I would say check out Mother House of the Goddess as well as my network on that. Um, I am also doing... April Egypt. Yes. Oh, my gosh. April. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget that. (laughs) I'm going to Egypt in April again, and I cannot wait. I just got back. It was a glorious trip. And um, Indigo, Ron Love, and I will be leading a trip to Egypt. Uh, it's 14 days. It starts April 21st, and we'll be back May the 5th. And um, there's still spaces available, so you can check um, shamanicjourneys.com for the website information on that. Uh, but do so quickly because the spaces are filling, and we need to confirm soon. So I hope you find that. Egypt is in your dreams, and that you'll be coming to Egypt with me. And um, and it's you need to know that it's an intimate trip with nine nights on the Nile on a very luxurious private dahabeya, which is like the yacht of the royalty. Um, <laughs> and it's it, it's it's fabulous because we have our own boat because they will have their own private boat and it's, it's small, you know, it only takes um, 20 people, including the leaders and the Egyptologists and stuff. So they'll probably only be about at the most, maybe 15 people. Um, uh, Because of its size and mobility it can take you to the temples at times when nobody else is there. It can park on um, 
islands and next to fields where the water buffalo bathe in the morning. So you wake up and look out your window and there's a water buffalo in the, in the water next to you splashing around. I mean, it's just like going back 5,000 years and uh, watching this incredible natural beauty and, and immersing yourself in it while you do this incredibly deep and transformative Egyptian mysteries work. And we Sorry have, for interrupting you. Yeah, it's really, it's really great. We have, uh, I heard the food is good also. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we have our own chef, so if you have any... Uh, you know, idiosyncrasies around food or allergies, we can, we can take care of it. This particular trip, Indigo and I are focusing on hieroglyphic thinking, on eco-psychology, and on dreams. So I'm really excited because each, each trip has a different theme, and that's what this trip is bringing to us. So it's really exciting. It will also include journal writing, right? Yes, it will. <laughs> Always. That's so important because <laughs> uh, Normandy is just the most magnificent uh, writing teacher. She can squeeze uh, Shakespeare out of a chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's got me journaling again, and I appreciate that. Nikki, could you touch on again the book that you're currently writing? Right now, my whole life is, is devoted to completing my manuscript by the end of the month. Its um, working title is Sekhmet in the Belly of the Goddess, and it's a book of a single alchemical process in which you can transform all of the, the habit patterns that plague you, that you haven't been able to change in your life, the characteristics and attributes that you would want to change in yourself, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Um, and it's, it's, it's a very powerful piece of work. It's probably my last book. I'm kind of hoping so. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's... Um, yeah, it's a lot of work to write a book. <laughs> when you when you read off our list of accomplishments, it just the kind of books that we write, or maybe it's just the way we do it. I don't know. We're perfectionists. It takes a lot of energy and hard work, and that's pretty much what I'm devoted to now. I will be doing an alchemical healing retreat this summer, and Normandy and I will be doing an Egyptian mysteries retreat this summer yeah, and we'll be doing and, and we'll be also doing a weekend in Portland and one of the most exciting things that I'm doing is I'll be doing a weekend with Dr. Bruce Lipton in Seattle in July. Yeah I saw that that's really fun. Yes my husband wants us to call it a scientist and an alchemist walk into a bar. Dot, <laughs> dot, dot. <laughs> that is so fun. Nikki, I'm hoping that you could share one of your hymns with us today. Okay. I opened to the page that has Hail Anubis. What I can say about this hymn is this it's a rarity. In fact, it's the only time it's ever happened. 
I woke up one morning in Egypt on a morning when we were going to the West Bank. And the dream was so vivid that I just sat and wrote it down. And this is exactly as it came to me. Okay. I dreamed death this morning, and it no platitudes could soothe the sting nor turn back the tide of time. The honeyed cake of laughter caught in my throat. Stop the wheel. I want to get off. But I can't. There is nowhere to go. Oh, great merciful grief, wash away this pain, for I shall not see another day from this frail shell. Anubis stands in the doorway, piercing yellow eyes gleaming from velvet black darkness, holding you, knowing you, calling you. His features are hidden, but his demeanor is clear. He stands poised to hear the faintest whisper of the western wind. Surrender. There is no choice. You are held in the vice grip of destiny. Relinquish the last vestiges of resistance. Your body is placed in a stone coffin. Its walls are marked with eyes through which your spirit can see. You hear the sound of stone scraping against stone as the heavy lid is set in place. You wait in the house of eternity. Like a snake that has outgrown its skin, you shed your life in the darkness, layer by layer, scene by scene, as the tapestry of your life unravels. Each knot untied lightens the weight of your heart as it rests on the scales of Maat, striving for balance. When the last fantasy is stripped of pretense and the last thread is but a wisp, then gone, you enter truth. In the company of gods, you awaken to the god you are. Hail Osiris, risen in light. Wow, that was amazingly beautiful, Nikki. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. We have had an amazing time today talking with Normandy Ellis and Nikki Scully. I encourage everyone to read The Union of Isis and Thoth and the many other books that they have written. I also invite you to visit their websites, normandyellis.com and Nikki's site, shamanicjourneys.com. I was hoping that each of you would share some closing words of wisdom with us today. I'm really, I'm really uh, almost at a loss for wise words because I think that um, the most important thing that we can do is to... Uh, stay close to the divine, to uh, allow ourselves to become that vessel. The wisdom will come to us when we need it. If we are open to the sound of the whispered voice of the goddess, uh, I know that uh, in my dreams, Isis is always there. And before I close my eyes every night, I ask her 
to, if she has something for me, to come to me in the night and tell me of it. What's so amazing to me these days is that I don't often remember it, but people will write to me and tell me that I've been in their dreams and they tell me what I've said. So I know that she's working through me and I just feel really blessed for that. Uh, I hope that everyone can feel that sense of closeness to the divine that has blessed me for these 30 years. Well, thank you. That was beautiful. Nikki? Well, just to play off Normandy and, and in a sense, reiterate uh, my own experience, because I've not heard other people speak of it, um, people dream for me as well. And I will get emails or sometimes phone calls to tell me that I've been in someone's dream and to deliver a message because I'm, I, like I said, I'm not so much a visionary as a catalyst and consequently I'm, I'm fairly crusty. And so those whispers have a harder time getting through to me. But I find that the more that I attempt to be present and that presence is uh, when we're 100% present, then we become 100% available to whatever and whomever is, um, is trying to reach us. And if we remember that these Neteru, this family of the Egyptian pantheon, is truly our family. They're our ancestors. They live in our DNA. And when we are open, um, they will enthusiastically support us and guide us and help us um, on our way. Well, thank you so much. That was, both of you, tremendously beautiful. I thank you both so deeply for sharing this time with us and for your beautiful work. Thank well, you, Caroline, for having us on. Oh, it was just totally my pleasure. Thank you, Caroline. It's been a joy and a privilege. Well, thank you. Deep gratitude to Brian, Zach, and Synergy for the use of their song, Embrace the Change. I thank all of you for joining us today and invite you to visit spiritofthedawn.com for more inspirational interviews. Sending love from my home to yours, I am Pleiadian Emissary of Life, Caroline Rock. <laughs>